0: Chapter 21 I woke up. I was on my side, lying in the dirt. I looked up at a night sky. Stars. Galaxies. Three tiny moons. Where was I? I stood up. Every muscle in my body ached. Muscles I didn't even know I had ached. My hooves tasted nothing but bare dirt. My stock eyes swiveled quickly to look around, but I realized one eye was blinded. Then I saw the ship. The Skritna transport. It was still more or less in one piece. I must have been able to land it. Somehow. I couldn't remember much of those last few minutes. It was all chaos in my brain. I forced myself to go over the facts. I was on the Taxon homeworld. I was approximately 400 miles from the spaceport. Lauren and Chapman were in the hands of the Yerks. Alaron, no one knew. Arbron had tried to trick me into killing him. That's what I remembered best. Arbron, I called. Arbron! No answer. I trudged wearily over to the Skritna ship. I saw the two-foot hole made by the dracon beam And then I saw the way the engines had been ripped half off The ship would never fly again I climbed into the wreckage My second stock eye was starting to clear a little I felt it and realized it had just been covered with mud Inside the ship, I called again Arbron! I looked around Nothing was working except a tiny glimmer of emergency lighting. For some reason, the Skritna liked their emergency lighting to be green. Who knows why? Something was missing. Of course. The two Skrit cocoons. They must have been knocked loose. The door to the freight hold was blown open. I went in. The same green emergency lighting illuminated a bizarre scene. In the hold were boxes and crates, piled in wild disarray Many had broken open on impact They spilled an amazing mass of alien-looking objects Frozen, preserved animals Bundles of the artificial skin that Loren and Chapman wore Glass objects that seemed to contain liquids Odd, antiquated electronic equipment Small objects that looked like hundreds of rectangular sheets of paper glued together on one side and a long crate with what I could almost swear were primitive weapons. All things that the Skritna had looted from Earth. Lorraine would know what they were, no doubt. But in addition to all these small objects, there were two much larger things. One was a shiny yellow-painted creation with four black wheels. The other object was the most powerful thing in the history of the galaxy. It looked like nothing more than a smooth off-white sphere. It was perhaps ten feet in diameter. Perfectly smooth. Unmarked. You would never know what it was if you hadn't seen the power readings. Invisible to the eye, it spread its grid down through the very fabric of time-space. The Time Matrix. I found I had stopped breathing. I could barely imagine the power I was staring at. To move a ship into zero space took more power than a medium-sized star. To move anything through time took ten times that power. The power of ten suns, all somehow contained in that off-white sphere. Arbron! I yelled. But I knew he wasn't there. He must have been thrown clear of the ship, just as I had been. Only, I hadn't seen him outside. And now it occurred to me that something else was missing too. The active script. Both Skrit cocoons and the active Skrit were gone, along with Arbron. I turned slowly away from the time matrix. It had a hold over me. It drew my stock eyes back to it, even as I walked away. I went back outside. Arbron! The light of the moons and stars was too dim to see clearly, but I had the impression I was in a narrow valley between tall, almost cliff-like mountains. Where could Orron have gotten to? Had he fallen from the doomed Skritna ship earlier? He could have ended up slamming into one of the mountainsides. I hated to even imagine that. I went back inside the cargo hold and picked up a handful of paper sheaves. Some were larger and had pictures. By the dim green light, I instantly recognized that the pictures were of humans. I flipped through pictures of humans doing things I could not understand. But then there was one picture I understood immediately It showed a marvelously tall waterfall The waterfall crashed into a pool surrounded by trees All of them green Overhead was a blue sky Two humans were smiling and sticking tiny white cylinders into their mouths There was human writing beneath the picture I don't read human very well But I was sure it was a poem to the beauty revealed in the picture The grass there looked sweet. It would be a fine thing to run there. To run with Loren and forget everything that had happened. Forget that I was alone on a planet of evil. My only companion, probably dead. My prince, lost. I turned to other pictures. I saw small, strange pictures of humans doing nothing but smiling. And there were pictures of human technology. A flying machine of some sort. Humans holding long rods that spit fire what seemed to be hideous cities. And then, to my delight, a picture of an actual human spacecraft. It took me a few seconds to understand what it was. It seemed to be a chemical rocket. An actual chemical rocket. But the pictures that drew my gaze were the ones of beautiful beaches beside blue seas and mountains topped with white and rushing white water streams surrounded by tall green trees. The trees were all very similar, not as beautiful as the trees I knew. Still, the picture spoke of a lovely world filled with delicious green grass and cool water. That alien landscape of Earth took me away from the drab horror of the taxon world. I wondered if Chapman might be from the jagged human cities. Was that why he was so much harsher than Lorraine? Was Lorraine from the beautiful green country where smiling humans stuck white cylinders in their mouths? I guess I fell asleep looking at that picture. I awoke with lingering traces of awful dreams chasing through my brain. There was light, natural light from the taxon sun. I ran outside. As I had guessed, I was in an incredibly steep valley. And now I could see tracks in the orange dirt. The marks of dozens of needle-sharp legs. Taxon tracks. The tracks came right up to the ship. Had they come while I was asleep? No I could see my own tracks from the night before My tracks were over the taxon tracks Orbron They were his tracks Had to be And yet No There had been more than one taxon Three Four others Five sets altogether And then I saw two additional signs A set of wandering insect-like tracks and the evidence of something large being dragged away. The script, I said. Okay. So taxons came. They took Arbron away, and the script, and maybe the two cocoon script. I glanced at the spot where I had been lying unconscious. They had to have seen me, smelled me, and yet I was still alive. They have Arbron. I realized. I reeled back and fell down. The taxons had taken Arbron. I knew what taxons did with prisoners. No! What had I done? I let them take Arbron alive. And yet, why hadn't they taken me? And the Time Matrix? Surely taxon controllers would not have done that. I recalled subfisher 7's reference to mountain taxons. Taxons who refused to submit to your control and I felt just the faintest glimmer of hope. If these had been your controlled taxons, they'd have taken the Time Matrix, and me. What am I supposed to do now? I asked the empty, dusty sky. Should I try to follow the tracks to Arbron? No. I had to be logical. Whatever type of taxon he'd fallen in with, their hunger would almost certainly seal his doom, and the doom of the poor Skritna, too. Alaron might still be alive He was my prince My duty was to get back to him Tell him about the time matrix and Arbron Somehow But the Taksan spaceport was hundreds of miles away Across burning sands Then One of the human pictures I'd seen came back to me It had shown two smiling humans Sitting in something very much like the bright yellow machine in the cargo hold I went back to the ship Yes, this bright yellow machine had four wheels, and you could easily see how humans might sit in it. It had a name in chrome letters. Mustang. Naturally, I had no idea what that meant. I set to work enlarging the hole in the side of the cargo hold. Then I removed the chairs in the machine. I discovered that I could fit inside the machine if I removed the flimsy cloth top. I stared long and hard at the control panel. The computer was tiny and had knobs you could twist. But at first, all it did was make static noises. Then, I discovered an actual tape drive. Astoundingly primitive. I pushed the buttons on the small keypad and twisted the knobs again. And to my utter amazement, the computer began to play music. It screamed. I quickly turned it down. What kind of race would use a computer to play screaming sounds? It took 20 minutes more for me to realize that a notched brass insert could be twisted. And when I twisted it... The noise was amazing! It was an actual comical engine! Something from a thousand years ago. Ridiculously primitive. And yet, I found when I pressed my forehoof on a petal in the floor, the engine roared. It was primitive, all right, but it vibrated in a most satisfying way, and I liked it. Chapter 22 I have run mag hover trucks. I have flown bugfighters. I have flown Skritna Raiders at 3,000 miles per hour, in atmosphere. But I had never experienced anything more exhilarating than racing down the valley and out across the open taxon desert in my Mustang. It only went a hundred miles per hour, but with the wind in your face, whipping your fur, bending your stock eyes back, it was certainly a wild ride. But everything was going wrong. I was racing across the Taxon Desert in a human vehicle toward probable doom, but with the wind in my face and the music in my ears mingling with the loud roar of the engine, I didn't feel so badly. I had gathered up some of the other human objects the Skritna had taken. The writing sheets with pictures, some of the machines that looked like weapons, and some of the glass bottles containing liquid. I broke several of the bottles before I figured out how to open them. After that, I quickly determined that they contained water-based liquids. I poured the liquids into a shallow pan and was able to stick in one hoof to drink as I drove. Dr. Pepper, the bottles had said. I figured this was human writing for bubbling brown water. For a while, I just put Arbron out of my mind. I put Alaron out of my mind. And I pictured myself with Loren Driving in my Mustang across the green grass of Earth Wind in my face Bubbling brown water running up my hoof As I drove, I tried to come up with a plan One thing was for sure An endelite in a Mustang was going to be just slightly obvious I would need stealth But I would not morph to Taxon again Not ever that's when the ground beneath my wheels simply opened up. F-wumpf. Ah! Boom! Boom! Brum, 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 brum. The Mustang tumbled and rattled down a steep, rough slope, a dirt ramp that led straight down into darkness. Ah! I took my hoof off the accelerator pedal. I tried to reach the key to turn off the engine, but the vibration was too severe. I slid and rattled and rolled in my human machine, down, 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 into the ground, down and down, and then I slid to a halt. Scrump. The only sound was the noise of the engine and the weird human moaning that passed for music. I turned off the music. I was in darkness, but not the absolute darkness I expected. This darkness still afforded sight. There was light enough for my main eyes to see, after they'd had a few seconds to adjust. I was in a vast underground cavern. Dominating the center of the cavern was a sort of hill or small mountain. It was this mountain that glowed. It glowed a dim but unmistakable red. From this irregular glowing hill came tendrils, each perhaps three or four feet in diameter. As my eyes adjusted, I could see that there were a dozen or more of these tendrils, and that each one extended to the edge of the cavern, and then kept going into the rock itself. The tendrils, too, glowed a dim red. I realized that I could see things moving inside the tendrils. The tendrils were hollow. They were tubes, each about as big around as... as a taxon. I saw them then. My eyes finally pierced the darkness and saw the taxons. Dozens. No, hundreds. They swarmed around and over the glowing red mountain. As I watched, I saw holes open in the sides of the tunnel tendrils. Out crawled more taxons. They had to see me. They couldn't help but see me. And yet none moved to attack me instead they busied themselves pushing dirt and rock back into place to fill the space my mustang had created is this the creature ah! i screamed the voice in my head was huge massive i grabbed my head with my hands it was like hearing a planet speak it was only then As I staggered under the psychic low That I realized it The Red Mountain was alive I heard a different thought-speak voice Yes, that's him Arbron said He is called Alfangor One taxon came slithering toward me Out of the mass of bodies around the base of the Red Mountain It moved clumsily Two rows of legs were shorter than the others Arbron? Yes, Alfangor, it's me. I was afraid you were dead, I said. I wanted to be, but I am still alive. Alive to serve the living hive. The what? He waved one taxon claw back toward the massive glowing mountain. The living hive, light of the taxons, mother and father of the taxons. The hive has lost many of its children to the yurts. Many of its servants have betrayed the Hive and made an alliance with the Yerks. But the living Hive is still the mother and father of the species. Orbron, what are you talking about? Have they done something to you? Then he laughed. The old Arbron again, for just a moment. Have they done something to me? Well, they didn't eat me, if that's what you mean. The taxons who found us after we crashed wanted to eat us both, but I gave them the skrit instead. I had no choice. And then the living hive learned what I was. It drew me here. We're hundreds of miles from where we landed. How did you get here? You couldn't possibly have walked. The living hive's tunnels extend across thousands of miles off Angor. There is suction in the tunnels. A taxon only has to fold back its legs, and the pressure draws it swiftly down the tunnel, as the hive commands. The legs I... The legs you were missing... They're growing back. Yes, taxons can regenerate legs. Orbron, what's going on? It wasn't an accident that the ground opened up beneath me. Did the... The living hive want me here for some reason? Yes, Alfangor. The hive is angry. At me? I asked, feeling my guts turn over several times. If this glowing red mountain was mad at me, all it had to do was yell in its monstrous psychic voice, and I'd be shattered. The living Hive is tired of losing its children to the Yurks. The living Hive has long sought a way to destroy the Yurk invaders and remove them from this planet. But the Hive could not understand the Yurks and their machines. Now, now the Hive has an advisor. Someone who understands machines, spaceships, dracon beams. Someone who will help the Hive destroy the Yurks and their traitor Taxons. I stared at Arbron. You? He laughed, but this time there was no mirth. What better future could I have, Alfangor? I am Taxon now. And now I am preparing for a surprise attack on the spaceport. The Hive will send a thousand of her children with me. I will lead a Taxon rebellion. I didn't say anything What was there to say? My hearts were breaking Arbon slithered closer Shuffling on his needle-like legs He looked at me through red jelly eyes And even now I knew he seethed with raging taxon hunger Don't pity me, Althangor. I'm glad I didn't die Any life is better than none And no matter how awful things seem There is always meaning and purpose to be found And you found your purpose? We attack tonight. The living hive is pushing her tunnels closer to the spaceport. A thousand taxons will pour from the ground, surprising the yurks and all their creatures. I imagined that moment. A thousand huge hungry worms erupting amid the technological cathedrals of the ship's cradles. Erupting amidst taxon controllers and Hork-Bajir controllers. You'll lose, I said we know orbon said but even a taxon has the right to control its own planet even a taxon has the right to resist an invader but you can't win i said flatly aren't lost causes sometimes the best causes alfangor how could he imagine that anything to do with taxons could ever be a good cause these taxons were no less cannibalistic no less murderous and yet if they oppose the Yurks, could I refuse to offer that help? Tell me what I can do to help, Arbron. That's more like it, Alfangor. We'll put some tailblades into these yerks, right? Right? We'll be heroes, after all. Hello, Phantomorphs, And thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs' Auditory Experience. As always, I am your host, Daniel. Thanks for listening again. I uh, don't really have anything to put here except for the usual stuff. So let's get through it. If you liked what you heard here and you use Apple Podcasts, please leave a rating or review if you're so inclined. Love to get those. Want to be all the other podcasts that do essentially the same thing I'm doing here. I want to be the number one bootleg Anamorphs audiobook series so help me do that by giving me ratings and reviews Uh, if you want to talk to me about this podcast or just about life uh, you can do that at audiomorphscast at gmail.com or audiomorphscast.tumblr.com also be sure to check out my ooh you might be able to hear a plane right now there is a plane flying above my house but uh, if you feel like it Uh, Be sure to check out my second limited-run podcast, Into the Radlands, an Into the Badlands rewatch podcast. Also, watch Into the Badlands. It's a really good show. It's on Netflix. You can find that, this podcast, and more at theapocalypse.com. That's The Apocalypse, like Apocalypse, but with a D in the middle. Okay, I've taken up enough of your time, so have a great night, have a great week. I'll see you next time. My name is Daniel. And I believe one day, the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight.